0: And welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Topical Brainstorm. I am Garrett Fox, here with Christian Larson. Hey. Christian, how's it going?
1: It's going pretty, pretty well.
0: Pretty well. Good. We're all- Did you ever find out if you passed that last test?
1: Yes. So... It's been a while. I can't remember, as always, what we've said. I... Got my score back for the test I took in May and I passed. And then I took another test in June and I got my score back this morning and I passed. So I have officially passed all four CPA tests. Wow. Which feels really good. I'm I think it's one of the accomplishments I'm most proud of in my life, honestly, because it felt like it was completely optional. I already have a job. Most of my coworkers didn't go on to get their CPAs. There wasn't pressure from work or anything. I just knew it It would pay off, you know, long-term. And uh, uh, once I finally convinced myself to click buy on the study package, which was a couple thousand dollars, I was like, man, I got to do it now. <laughs> um <laughs> But I'm still just I, I feel I feel pretty good about it. Um and hopefully it does end up paying off. I'm sure it will. But it feels really good to to have that done.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So are you like a registered CPA now or do you have to do something more to register yourself as such?
1: Yeah, there's some other administrative stuff I have to do. I have to prove some work experience and take an ethics test, and pay some amount to actually get the license. But just a few little things like that. that You always got to
0: pay him money, man. You always got to pay him money.
1: It's always about the money.
0: Well, that's pretty awesome, man. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Feels good. Yeah. How are your classes going?
0: Uh, Pretty good. I'm sitting at an A in both right now. Good. So I'm only going to take one class next semester, which should be good. And then I'm going to decide if I'm going to do a master's in accounting or do an MBA program. Uh, Right now I'm leaning towards master's of accounting. So that's good. Uh, I've been looking at that school that you told me about. I was actually looking at that one before you even told me that Colton had gone there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's like I just typed in five, like top five Masters of Accounting programs for online, and that was one of them. So I like them because you could just apply and they look through your transcript. And if you don't have a master or an accounting degree or a business degree of any kind, they look through your transcript and see which classes you still have to take. And then their prerequisite classes are part of their program. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. So it is nice. I want to actually talk to them and get a list of those prereq classes so I can just take them. Somewhere else because I'm sure it would be way cheaper to do it through a community college. That's true. Save myself a few
1: thousand. Nice. Yeah. I I figured it was a good program since Colton chose it, you know, he's a smart guy, so
0: (laughs) Yeah. Colton is does he listen to this? Probably not.
1: I, I told him about the podcast once and he laughed at me. So I know oh, that's funny.
0: <laughs> Colton is a strange man.
1: I'll have that's to all make gonna say this episode since you just called him out, but he's a good dude and he's a smart guy. So, and I know for him, the program was one class at a time in seven week chunks. I don't know if that's how you would have to do it or if you chose to do it that way.
0: Yeah, I think you I can think do I... multiple at a time cuz the I don't know how many credits each class is, but the whole program is 30 credits. Yeah. For me it's a little bit more because I don't have that accounting background. So I have to take leveling courses. Yeah. I think they said it's up to Fifty something credits, and it's six hundred and fourteen dollars a credit. I want to say six hundred something. So it can be pretty expensive, but it's yeah. about twenty two thousand for the program if you don't have, or if you do have a an accounting background. Okay. So yeah. always about the money. Always about the money. Well, let's hop into this new book.
1: I don't think we've introduced it, have have we?
0: I don't think so. So the book we've decided to do is written by Ed Catmull, and it's called Creativity, Inc. Ed Catmull was the... Founder and first manager, I want to say, slash CEO of Pixar. So this book teaches you how to be more creative. It's written for managers, but there's a lot of stuff in there that applies to people of many different backgrounds. You could use this in your work, I'm sure. I can use it in mine. Uh, So it's been really enlightening to read. I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that introduction?
1: I think I would just say it's specifically written for managers or leaders of creative teams. And the subtitle is Overcoming the Unseen Forces that Stand in the Way of True Inspiration. So, although it is specifically written for, it, you know, it, it applies especially to artistic endeavors, I feel like. So sometimes it fe- I have to, you know, I've had to put some thought into how I could apply this into, into my work or my life. That being said, there are still a lot of good principles and good ideas that can apply in, in, in my life and much more than just my work life. And Ed Catmull himself is an impressive guy. I didn't really know much about him. He was born in Utah, but he's he's kind of been all over the place. He was one of the first computer scientists people who was he was figuring out and writing these programs that are still used today, very rudimentary forms of them. Um, but and then he worked for George Lucas on some Star Wars stuff, and and eventually Steve Jobs bought Pixar, and it was going to be a computer selling company and it turned into what it is today with their obvious track record of success. Although it seems like they've been struggling a little bit lately with some of their movies. (laughs) But yeah, it's been interesting. We are going to go through part one today. I think, again, it's a a four-part book. So again, we can promise we're going to try to be more consistent recording, but we probably should stop promising that and just do our best.
0: (laughs) These sections, these parts are very large. Yeah. So it might take us a week just to get through them. uh, And then another week to think about them. We're going to try our best to do every week, but we'll see what what happens. Yeah.
1: With this book, maybe two weeks is a good idea.
0: Yeah. We'll see how this
1: episode goes. So um, jumping in. Um, And there there were a lot of different things we could touch on, but one of the main things that he talks about is something called Deming's approach, which boils down to the idea of quality over quantity or quality over efficiency. And this really came about in Japan in manufacturing companies who started to apply this. And apparently back in 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, Japanese goods were just known as garbage, which I didn't know. I wasn't old enough to know that. Um, In my experience, and my dad's pretty biased toward Japanese cars, but Japanese cars are some of the most reliable vehicles out there. Um, And especially maybe 20 years ago when they had started to apply this Deming's approach, they were known as some of the most reliable cars on the road. I don't know these days if they still are considered the most reliable, but it has Deming's approach um, is basically finding a way to share the responsibility of fixing and finding problems with all the employees in the company. It helps those employees feel pride in their work, helps them to take responsibility and train them and continuously improve. And that truly transformed the manufacturing world. And obviously, um, Japanese goods, especially cars, are the example I used, but are now very reliable and can be relied upon, which was not the way it used to be. And it was because they used this approach, this kind of mindset and management approach um, to make better goods.
0: Yeah. You can compare that to, you know, Ford, who is talked about in the book. And Ford's big discovery, uh, I guess you could label it, is the assembly line. And they would just push cars through the assembly line, and the assembly line would not stop unless the guy on top decided something was wrong and needed to stop it in order to fix something. Whereas the Demings approach gives every employee in an assembly line the ability to stop if they see something wrong and fix it. And this led to much higher quality goods in their cars, especially I think was a huge thing that they talked about. And this launched their quality to the top which launched their profits to the top as well it's it it was very revolutionary for its time but it makes perfect sense and i think a lot of companies these days use this same approach if you see something wrong you're supposed to fix it you're not supposed to wait for someone else to do it or you're at least supposed to tell your manager so they can figure it out you know that's just how things are.
1: Yeah, it's an approach that has stuck around, which seems to prove its, its value. And Ed Catmull talks about this approach and how they wanted all the employees to have have that kind of responsibility and have that kind of power to stop the project, to, to talk to anyone they need to talk to as opposed to going through a hierarchy and how that led to good collaboration. And the first big movie they made was Toy Story, which was a big success, in part because of this approach. And when I tried to think of how I could apply this in my life, I'm not in a position where I'm managing anybody. But obviously, it's, it's an approach where they want every employee to take responsibility and I think recently, in, in my current position, I've been at my job for a little over a year now, about 14 months, and I've just recently gotten to the point where I feel like I can take on this mindset a little bit better, and by that I mean I can try to look at the work I'm doing, and before I pass it on to my supervisor, I try to look at it as he would, right? And And my goal has become, instead of just getting it done and doing it to the best of my ability, is actually to understand what's going on and try to make it so he has less work. Which I feel like is, in in my situation, me trying to take responsibility. The responsibility that I can and, and pride in my work.
0: So that goes with the phrase that you actually wanted to discuss from this book. Everything we did, everything associated with our name, needed to be good. So that's Ed talking about Pixar. Why did you want to discuss that particular phrase?
1: I like that phrase because I think that is a very good mindset to have. I think in any job you're in or any company you work for, even any relationship you're in, that mindset can be good. Anything you do, you should try to do it to the best of your ability. or else why do it, right? And I think from Pixar's perspective, and the reason this came up is because they... Produced Toy Story it was a big hit. They started working on A Bug's Life, and then they also started working on Toy Story 2. And they were, were, at that point, had a contract with Disney, where Disney was going to kind of release these films and do the advertising for them. And at first, Toy Story 2 was just going to be directly released onto video, onto VHS, which was kind of the standard back then for sequels, because sequels usually sucked. As anyone knows, if they've gone on Disney+, and tried to watch whatever movie with the two after it that you've never heard of before, they're terrible, usually. And eventually, Pixar decided they wanted to make it, they weren't okay making mediocre work. And like I said, I I think that's a great mindset for anyone to have in any aspect of their life. It's just to do things right. Because those short-term solutions are taking shortcuts. Um, it just rarely pays off in the long run.
0: Yeah. And I feel like every company has something similar to this. Everything they do needs to be good. Everything associated with their name. Reputation is key in this world. If you don't have a good reputation... Why would anyone come to you? Uh, why would Disney buy Pixar's films or have contracts with them to release films for them if their work just sucked? Which is really interesting because it was pretty much the standard that V like number two sequels would just suck and they were all okay with it, which is really interesting. One thing that stuck out to me was the confidence that Ed had in not only in Pixar, but in himself. And this showed with one story in particular where he showed up at Lucasfilm Studios for an interview and they gave him a tour. And then at the end they asked him, is there anyone that would be better than you for this job? He gave him a list of names not knowing that they had already interviewed those people. And when when they interviewed those people and asked the same question, none of them offered any names. Ed was the only one that offered other people's names. To me, that just shows confidence. If you're confident in yourself, you won't be threatened by those that you know are better than you. And from a management perspective, it's way nice to have people that are better and smarter than you on the team cuz they make you look really good. And too often people in higher positions are threatened by those that are are better than them that are in a lower position cuz they think they're going to lose their job. And that may be true, but at least you'll look good losing your job. <laughs> you know, like these people will make you look really good if you manage them correctly
1: i think that story also shows integrity and honesty which is really important he talks a bit about if you want to build and sustain a creative culture you can't just talk about honesty and excellence and originality you have to follow through with those things and be an example of those things um which which is obviously really important. And looking back on the managers and bosses that I've had in my life, I, I definitely, you can tell when someone, just you can tell when someone's a person of integrity for the most part. And even if even if you don't maybe agree with all the ways they run the business or something, it's it's so much easier to go to work and to want to work for someone who you can tell is just an honest good person. And um, Ed Catmull seems to to be that for the most part. I've I've done some research on how Pixar is doing lately and, and some of these guys had some Um, they've had some scandals (laughs) which we don't need to get into right now because it's part one what I want to say is that integrity which he shows by sharing those other names and there are a lot of other examples of him just being honest and open with technological advancements they were making and, and other things there's a lot of value in that and that attracts other honest people right and getting that group of people building that group is probably one of the best things pixar had going for them despite you know all these other things they talk about acquiring that talent and keeping that talent which i'm sure was easier to do with a, a good manager and an honest manager was was i'm sure had a huge part to do in pixar's success
0: one phrase that stuck out to me was the mantra of story or yeah, story is King. And this is something that they learned after toy story two and learned it a few times actually. But uh, the big, the big time they learned it was right after toy story two. They realized that it's not the effects or the animation that people care about. It's, the storyline and this is super true this is true in life man people love good stories if you have a good story people will just be drawn to you and if you're the kind of person that um i don't know i feel like people with good stories are generally people that i want to be around people of integrity people that are nice um uh, and it's nice to listen to their stories, you know. I don't, I don't know, that's just what I thought of.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> the ability to storytell is is an impressive one. And to do it right, yeah, you usually you got to be pretty funny. <laughs> and um yeah, I I agree that it's it's they're usually just likable charismatic people. If, if, uh, if, if, um, they can tell a real good story that makes you laugh or something like that. But, or
0: you know, even if they just have a good life story, you know, like true. inspirational stories. I don't I, know. Yeah. As far as storytellers go, I think Luke is probably one of the best storytellers I've ever <laughs> met. <laughs> that kid, kid can make you bust a gut anytime. Uh, <laughs> Luke is our mutual friend from college, so and I guess from high school for you.
1: Yeah, he is. He is. He's good at telling stories. I agree like with you there. Uh, yeah. So that was, and the other kind of motto they had was trust the process. And they get into the good and bad of, of both of these mottos. Well, they call them. He called them principles at one point that they they thought story is king and trust the process could be guiding principles that would lead them to, to good projects. And to an extent they did. Right. Um, and story is king is, I think to an extent still true. And, um, at least picks are still holds that to be true. But what they kind of realized was that these slogans were too vague Uh, because the, the phrase trust the process can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And he gives a couple examples of, he was asking some employees after a few years of what they thought trust the process means. And a few of the answers, one person said, assume that the process will fix things for us. One person said we should trust in people, not processes. One person said, keep on going, even when things look bleak. One person said, the process either makes you or unmakes you. Um, And then Ed Catmull realized that they had to make sure that people interpreted that phrase as if the individual is the one playing the active role and not the process itself, right? And... In doing some research on Deming's approach, that's actually one of their one of their main points. Um, I guess Deming—I don't remember his full name—he was the guy who came up with his own approach, obviously. But he came up with 14 points for total quality management, and one of them was no vague slogans. Um, and I think trust the process and stories King both fall in that category of being too vague, which. Again, if you if the if the employee interprets it as keep on going even when things look bleak, or they interpret it as um, something positive, it can still be a good slogan. But other employees are going to interpret it as assume that the problems will fix themselves without me, you know, really having put effort in to fix it. That's a negative thing. So make sure any slogans you have are, you know, unifying but also clear enough that everyone's actually on the same page.
0: This reminded me a lot of our last book Atomic Habits when they talked about goals and how we all think goals are great because we all have when you talk to the winner of the Super Bowl for example, They had the goal that year to win the Super Bowl. Well, what about the other teams? They also had the goal to win the Super Bowl. Everybody trusts the process. What makes and breaks successful companies or successful people or successful etc., whatever you want to put after that, is the fact that the successful are proactive about trusting the process. They they don't trust the process they trust themselves going through the process so uh, it reminded me a lot of of that one last story that i wanted to talk about this book for those of you that don't know steve jobs played a huge role in the genesis of pixar and the keeping Pixar alive <laughs> in its early days, he was just plugging a bunch of money into them to try to keep them afloat after he bought them from Luca, uh, from George Lucas. And one story that Ed tells, <laughs> Steve Jobs is just super intense, and especially earlier in his life, he was super arrogant probably at the end of his life too, but I don't know enough about the end of his life to definitively label him as such. But one time they were at, this was before he even bought them, Steve jobs and this other guy whose name I can't remember, both very smart guys, both had computer companies. They were standing in each other's faces with their hands behind their back, just yelling at each other, like having this super intense conversation. And then Steve had to leave. And the this was happening 10 feet away from Ed. And the other guy turned to Ed and was like, that guy is arrogant. And then he left. And then Steve eventually came back and said to Ed, that guy was super arrogant. And Ed writes about how he thought it was funny that neither man could see the arrogance in himself but only the other person. That story stuck out to me because I feel that that happens often. Uh, Whether it's me not recognizing the arrogance in myself or two people... Or a group of people just not being able to recognize the arrogance in themselves. I don't know. I just feel that there has to be a better way to recognize that when it's you and to correct that.
1: Yeah, I think pride is a scary thing, you know? It is... Yeah, it's definitely hard to see in yourself. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be such a problem. But um, there are just so many ways, pride or, or arrogance—I feel like they're synonyms—can can sneak into your life. And yeah, it's it's scary. But another takeaway from that story for me is. Um, just communication style, you know, um, like that conversation they had, I'm sure it was pretty intense. I'm sure they're both really smart guys, but, and, and of course, Ed Catmull has the benefit of being the author of this book. So he probably didn't share any places where he's still prideful about, you know, um, cause he always sounds like a really humble, super good guy. And, I'm sure he is in, in many ways, but everyone's got, you know, their own blind spots where they've got some pride and, uh, yeah, I don't know any secret on on getting rid of that, but um, the ability to communicate and, you know, obviously being humble is really important and Ed does talk about that quite a bit, the ability to be humble and see see your own faults and see your flaws which was kind of the purpose of of this book is he saw a lot of different companies in silicon valley start have a really good idea be really successful and then collapse because they didn't adapt and because they became prideful um and he 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 kind of set out on a mission to not let that happen to pixar once they made toy story but yeah it's it's That's a big, that's a hard topic, you know, (laughs) arrogance in general.
0: Well, um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was this idea about ideas. (laughs) So when I hear a good idea or hear of a new startup business, that's doing something that I really think is cool. I often think to myself, that's a good idea. I wish I could have had that idea myself. Whereas I, I feel like that's normal. That's nothing weird or anything, but we often think of these ideas as something singular. It's just one idea. When in reality, This one idea is made up of many, many different ideas by many, many different people that's led down this path to arrive at this one thought, which I did a quick Google search. The average person has 6,000 thoughts a day, which I don't know. I just felt like that was pretty cool, pretty cool stat to throw in here because there's so many thoughts by so many different people and these really good ideas that you hear about are a collection of many many different thoughts probably days have been spent thinking over these th- over many different things to arrive at one idea for whatever business it is or whatever whatever you think that good idea is. So don't kick yourself too hard when you're not the one that thought of it because God. they probably didn't think of it all by themselves either.
1: And for sure. And that was that was a good thing to think about. And he, he talks about his days at the University of Utah, which was one of the first universities to have a computer. And he talks about how him and a bunch of other students were just obsessed with these advances they were making in computer science. And he talks about how he invented this thing that can make one object in front of the other object, which sounds so basic, you know, (laughs) to us in, in the year 2022, but that was groundbreaking. And he had a name for it, but that little invention is, is in any piece of animated art you'd see on the computer, like any animation. Obviously the whole whole feature films that Pixar makes, but you know, any little game, anything, that invention is a part of that. And that was obviously just one building block that allowed all these advancements in not only computer generated movies, which was Ed Catmull's first goal in Toy Story, but just in life as we know it today. And I think he uses the example of an iPhone, right? How the iPhone is a compilation of thousands of ideas. I think you put a number on it, but maybe you didn't. Regardless, irregardless, yeah, it is good to remember that, uh, and I like the way you put it, because I, I think I've heard you say that before. It's like, why couldn't I have thought of that? And I, I have had, I have had the same thought for sure but it doesn't, it's, yeah no one is really originally coming up with these ideas all on their own you know (laughs) and one additional thought on that knowing that is another reason why you should hire good people if you're in a position to hire, right? Um, If you put together a good team of of people. And he also talks about the idea of which one to value ideas or people. Um, And he comes to the conclusion that people are obviously more important because ideas come from people. So if you can build a really good team, and um, obviously the uh, Pixar team is going to look a lot different than my accounting team or, or, you know, whatever industry you're in, but a team full of good, smart people, there will be good ideas to solve problems. And, um, that's another reason why having good people is, is, you know, that's what led to the iPhone, a bunch of different ideas, like you said. So yeah, I like that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good thought I don't have anything else left to add
1: Yeah, I'm excited for uh, part two It's really fun to read about the ideas that led to these movies That I've you know loved so much in my life
0: Yeah, I've enjoyed reading part two so far I'm about halfway through
1: I need to start part two, I need to catch up to you but...
0: It's pretty good Well, thanks for listening, everybody.
1: Thanks for tuning in.
0: Catch you next time.